Hello and welcome back to this little mini-series I'm doing on Marvel's Phase 4. This is part 3, a Marvel masterpiece, where I'll be focusing on the best Marvel content to come out of Phase 4 and why I think there is some brilliance in Marvel's Phase 4 and where I think it lies. So, let's get into it. Let's start with my favourite film from Phase 4, Spider-Man No Way Home. Do I even need to tell you about it? What a film. Yes, getting the old ones back is a bit of a gimmick, and no, it didn't hide being filmed during COVID as well as other films from the time. But do we care? It's amazing. Some fantastic action mixed with superb acting and a surprisingly moving story. Everyone loves Toby and Defoe, of course, but I especially loved seeing Garfield back this time for the opportunity to play the character how he wanted. It was also nice to see Jamie Foxx and get a chance to update and improve his Electro. But the real star here is Tom Holland, who continues to be the greatest Spider-Man. You could argue it isn't as focused or as funny as either of the previous Holland films, but it will go down in history for uniting all the versions of a character on screen for the first time. As the multiverse saga wears on, having old actors dusted off may begin to feel tired, but here it was wholly original and absolutely exceptional. That brings me to my other favourite film, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. What a film, the achievements of which are doubled when you consider that the entire script has been rewritten from its original version following the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman and that every returning cast and crew member were themselves grieving. That's what this film is really about. Much like many of the best superhero films, it is only that on the surface. Underneath, it is an emotional and touching portrayal of what it's like to lose someone, and how those left behind can find the strength to carry on. I found the whole thing incredibly affecting, and was surprised that a simple superhero film could make me feel something so deep. But it's not simple. With a deliberately slow script and beautiful visuals, the film manages to pull you into an emotional journey along with the characters, the highest praise I can offer. Wakanda Freather is a film that shows what superhero content is capable of being when it is in the right hands. When in the hands of writer-director Ryan Coogler, who, if he isn't careful, could become the next Nolan, it can be something truly special. Phase 4 closed off the MCU's most consistent trilogy with No Way Home and gave us one of the best films here, showing Marvel is still capable of brilliance, even if it has become rarer. Next, the seasonal treat that was Hawkeye. Finally giving Hawkeye his chance to shine, this show had a well-told story with surprises and emotional moments that hit home. I actually thought Shane Black had returned to Marvel when I saw the trailer, what with its seasonal setting and buddy dynamic, but that was not the case. The back and forth between these leads is fantastic here, better even than Black's own Iron Man 3. Hayley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop is a brilliant addition, who is a great foil for the jaded Barton, and when Florence Pugh's Yelena returns later in the show, she also finds a lot to add. No, it wasn't earth-shattering, but what it was, was fun, and there's a lot to like here. Then there's Moon Knight. Now, I have a soft spot for Moon Knight, even though it never really lived up to the promise of its fantastic first episode. I love the darker tone, I love never knowing what bonkers thing could happen next, and I love Oscar Isaac's dual performance. 
Dick Van Dyke British accent aside, it's one of the best turns in a recent comic book project and the perfect blend of light and dark for this show. Where Moon Knight falls down, as with many Marvel projects, is its villain, a dull but foreboding presence that gets replaced with a giant crocodile in the last episode. Sad. Especially when they had the perfect villain in Isaac's first, third personality, sorry, Jake Lockley, who was revealed far too late as he was a better villain in five minutes than the main one was in five episodes. But all in all, I loved the twisty nature of it and never knowing who you can trust, which again, with the possible exception of WandaVision, was something new for Marvel. The only problems here come from having too much of a good thing. When these series drop off in the middle, it makes me wonder if something like Moon Knight would have worked better as a film. Having said that, Marvel's freshest ideas have come from the series of late. So how can they combine those good ideas in a shorter format that's more low-key than a film? Well, those geniuses over at Marvel have an answer for that. They call it a special presentation. I call it a bloody good idea. You can imagine Werewolf by Night or the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special being dragged to within an inch of their lives to become series. But tell me this, when you finished either of those, did you feel like anything was missing? No, right? Yes, they aren't as twisty as Moon Knight or as big in scale as Hawkeye, but you also can't pick the same holes in them that you can with these shows. Maybe not 40 minutes, but... Maybe some of these series could have done with three episodes instead of six, or six instead of nine. Both of these special presentations have a specific focus and feel. One black and white macabre, and the other with Christmassy colour. They have a specific aim to make you scream or make you laugh, and they both achieve this, becoming one of the most entertaining things Marvel has put on Disney+. They are what cult sci-fi like Marvel should be, simple stories told well that make you feel something, proving that for all its box office success, Marvel belongs on TV, at least as much as it does in the cinema. But in this day and age, TV is of course the place to be. There is one project I've been dancing around here because I love it so much. My favourite Marvel project of Phase 4, and one of my favourites of the whole lot, I'm of course talking about Loki. Loki has always been a fan favourite character that many believed had legs on his own. I know not everyone feels as strongly as I do, but God do I love it. It perhaps comes from a lifelong love of Doctor Who, a show whose style Loki emulated perfectly. In fact, it felt more like Doctor Who than Doctor Who did at the time. It was fun, fresh and full of ideas, hiding in apocalypses to avoid the time police, genius, showing Loki his entire life in minutes inspired, and an ending that bucks the trend and chooses intrigue and drama over action, which I loved. Unlike the rest of the Marvel shows, I wouldn't shave a single second off of Loki, because not a single second was wasted. Every cliffhanger was game-changing, every episode the right length. The writing was witty and kept you guessing. The direction from Kate Heron was phenomenal. I liked pretty much every performance, but a special shout-out to Owen Wilson, Rich D. Grant, and Sophia DiMartino. There's also Jonathan Majors, who could not have been introduced better.
That's without even mentioning Tom Hiddleston, who has been linked with roles like Bond over his career, but he doesn't need them. Loki is the part he was born to play, like RDJ with Tony Stark. He is always good, but does an especially good job of humanising Loki here. The final thing I'll praise is Natalie Holt's music, which crowns Loki as a complete package. Many projects I've mentioned here have good music, not least Werewolf by Night, which was actually directed by its composer, Michael Giannaccio. Also Wakanda Forever by the brilliant Ludwig Göransson, who's the next Hans Zimmer, I think which had a poignant blend of themes we know and new, almost alien sounds for the sea dwellers. But the music of Loki is completely original and wholly special. When they travel to Roxcart 2050, we see a billboard of a beautiful seaside town and then see it torn down by the biggest storm you've ever seen. And then that music comes in. I mean, wow. It's amazing to think these shows will never go into the cinema because that visual deserved it. And that was the exact moment that I fell in love with the show. What an amazing piece of television. I absolutely bloody loved it. As I'm sure you can tell. So to wrap this all up neatly, I'd just say that every project in Phase 4 either tried to replicate old successes by being safe or they took risks. Sometimes these risks paid off, sometimes not. But what never paid off was staying in the same lane. This constant slew of content for content's sake rather than one or two considered projects is a lot of what's led to the growing discontentment towards Marvel. They still have their diehard fans of course but casual audiences are becoming fed up with disappointment from a franchise that could once be largely relied on. No you can't please everyone but I think when the intention is there with good ideas and good execution even the most casual of audience member can tell. Marvel need to take the best of the old, characters we love, the strong interconnected world they've built, and blend it with the best of the new, storytelling that takes risks and explores new areas and new ideas. All this while keeping in mind why we loved Marvel in the first place, good quality escapist entertainment. I think that Marvel are already beginning to learn lessons from the ups and downs of Phase 4, reducing the slate and adapting more series and movies into special presentations, because we don't need this so-called content constantly drip-fed to us. What we want is good quality entertainment made by people who care, whatever form that takes. And there we have it, my complete and unfiltered thoughts on Phase 4. Thank you for coming on this journey with me, and most importantly, Thank you for listening.